0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Our scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are you, guys? Yeah. Um, really excited to be here. If you don't, I know, thank you so much, Ben, for that great introduction. Um, my name is Luke. Oh, and there's a, a yeah, nice picture to... That's community group leader, not communist group leader. Yeah. I don't know if that's a bad joke, but I made it. so. Um, and so I just want to share a little bit. My name is Luke, and my wife's name is Lucy. We have a son named Jonathan. Uh, we live in Heinsburg, and I'm a carpenter's apprentice by uh, day. So, yeah. Um, which I really love all those things. And Lucy and I, we... We love our church, and we feel called, led to stay here in Vermont, to live here. Um, and we love Vermont. We love what God is doing here at New King, what he's doing in Chittenden County. Um, and so uh, just to, about a month ago, uh, Eric called me up and asked if I'd be interested in preaching. And I said, okay, sure. Um, when and where? And, I, and he said, here. So I said, okay. Um, but he, and so I said, okay, and uh, he told me to pray about it. And then he said at the last, his last sentence was, oh yeah, and we're switching at two services. (laughs) So so pray for me while you uh, leave, uh, just that I have the strength. I am not a talker, so. (laughs) But uh, I'm excited to be sharing the word here today. Uh, We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And today we're asking the question, where is your devotion? You know, last week Eric talked about a lot of things, but he talked about godliness, and he made the definition, the difference between that oftentimes we think godliness is goodliness in our deeds and how we act and how God approves us, but more so godliness is devotion to God, in our relationship to Him. And so today I hope that, I know the Lord is going to speak to us and show us just a few practices of what devotion looks like to our Father. Uh, And we'll we'll uh, we'll walk through the passage. We'll try to go through it verse by verse, and then we'll end with a few takeaways. So let me just pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I ask for your grace. I ask for your help that you would empower me. I ask for the Holy Spirit. Empowering means energizing, so I ask that you would empower me, Lord, to give me energy. And I ask that you would speak through your word to new king, that they would hear from you, Lord. So in the name of Christ, amen. amen. So our first verse here, the first phrase, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says. This is a really cool phrase. We don't see this a lot. Um, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. So listen up. <laughs> um, I was just thinking the other day about how interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how, what, how church is. It's not like anything else in our world. You know, you all sit here, you stand up, you sit back down, you sing, you all, you're staring at me right now like you're, you're all just looking at me. There's no, you're not looking at anything else. It's inter- It's weird in any other context we would call that like a musical festival coming to hear a band or like a TED talk you know I don't know if those are cool anymore but um but that's not what this is you are not here to watch a band you're not here to listen to some music but to participate in worshiping God to participate in knowing God To recognizing Him for what He's done in your life. And you you haven't come to hear me preach, but you have come to hear from the Word of God. You hopefully have come to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. And notice those two words, the difference there, of seeing and hearing. Yes, you're looking at me, but more so, you're hearing from the Word of God. You're hearing from the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. And so here, when Paul says that the Spirit expressly says, He clearly speaks to us. It's, it's a wonderful, amazing truth that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But as Paul goes on, he says that the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Now, it's hard to say exactly what Paul's referring to, it sounds like he's saying that you know, Jesus said to us or that there's a, there's a verse that you could refer to and look at, but there's no like, clear one-for-one, one, Jesus said this or God said this. So it could be you know, a prophetic word that Paul heard at that time, or Paul is actually kind of referencing loosely to another verse. We do have one that, that seems pretty close to it. and It's in Matthew chapter 24. And this is Jesus, he said, And then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So this is a good, um, important truth for us to know. That prophecy always lines up with scripture. That if you hear something from someone on a television show, or even up here, that it must align with God's Word. If it doesn't line up with what God says in His Word, then it is a false prophet, a false teaching. That's right. Yeah. We have to be careful. We have to keep our ears open to what we hear. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to be overly critical and be so judgmental that we don't listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us, but we do need to be careful. Because of these particular people, who were departing from the faith. Now what does Paul mean that some will depart from the faith? Sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Like, can I depart from the faith? Is that what's happening here? Uh, The phrase here in our English Bibles, will depart, is translated from the Greek in a word that I cannot pronounce. It starts with an A, so look it up. But the, what the word means is to leave or to cause to rebel. One other place that this word is in, it can be found, is in Acts chapter 5, or verse 37. And it's here where the Pharisees are discussing what, what Peter and John have been teaching. They're, it's, it, they're wondering if this is truth, if it's a, just a, another passing wind of doctrine. But here they say, they recount another man named Judas the Galilean. And in verse 37, he rose up in the days of the census, that's the tax census, and drew away, that's our word there, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. This Judas guy, he drew out some of the people to rebel against the Roman taxis census at that time. These teachers here, in our passage, in 1 Timothy 4, are doing the same thing. They're causing people to rebel from their teachings. They're, they themselves are leaving, and they are drawing others to rebel. Um, Paul, but Paul, what Paul's saying here, that, that phrase, the faith, does he mean they're giving up their salvation? I think more so that he is saying they are leaving orthodox Christianity, that they are giving up what Eric talked about last week, what in uh, verse uh, chapter three, verse sixteen talks about, that Jesus was made, um, he became man, lived in the flesh, and took on our sin. They deny orthodox Christianity doctrines, truths that are found in the scriptures. Paul does not tell us if they were ever born again. Christ followers if they were we know that their faith would be preserved we know that they would continue in the faith in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 we see that John explains how this can happen how it, he makes it clear for us they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have com- continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So we know that your faith will preserve, persevere, that it will continue if, it, if God has worked in your heart. It will persevere. You can't give up your faith. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He is, God has made you His son or daughter. He's adopted you. You can't get rid of that. You can't lose that. Amen. Now I keep referring to these people as teachers because they've devoted themselves to the teachings of demons. Demons. I just said that in a real deep voice. Um, (laughs) This is why Paul writes so strongly about them. They're taking on the teachings of demons. They're devoting themselves. Notice here, we're, we're having like a compare and contrast. These people devote themselves to the teachings of demons where we are called To devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus, to the Word of God. And his burden is really light, not compared to a demon's burden or Satan's burden. Now, how did they get to this place? How does someone get to the place of listening to a demon's teaching? Now, they probably didn't really realize, if anybody really realized that they were being taught by demons, they'd probably be like, I'm getting a little far into this, I should back out. But they're and they're not so much being as puppets being controlled. Paul calls them liars. Paul presses the point that their consciences are seared. The word seared here means to cauterize. I didn't look up the Greek, so whoops. But it's this word cauterize. It reminds me of uh, the old Western movies, um, for good or for worse, and some of them, most all of them. You always, there was a guy who had a gunshot wound and he needed somebody to cauterize the wound. And they had a red hot knife. And so (laughs) it always happens. And you're like, I don't want to watch this. The reason they did that was to stop the bleeding. But here Paul speaking figuratively. What they are doing to their consciences is rendering it unsensitive. Unsensitive to other people, what other people actually need, they're feeding their own desires, their own pleasures, and not, um, and, and not what God wants. placing heavy burdens on people, creating their own bar for holiness. This is actually um, this is actually what the Pharisees did as well. They created a high bar that they could barely keep. How did they get to this place? Did, they just hap- did it just happen? No, a person's conscience does not become seared overnight, but through decisions of progressive unbelief. This illustration I found it, it helped me understand this. So imagine yourself with me, that you're in a room, someone asks you to walk, walk, walk through this room. It's papered bright green, really bright. It's a it's little knowing how bright it is. But you, So you walk to the adjoining room, where the walls are just green, but the shade is imperceptibly bluer. You enter into a third room, bluer than the second. Again, the difference is too small to be noticeable. After passing through 50 rooms, you're getting really tired, but you've gone through all these rooms, each slightly bluer than the last. Someone hands you a sample of this wallpaper, originally what you walked into where you started and you're astonished by how green it is. Suddenly you realize that the room you are now in is not green at all but blue. The shades of the colors change so easily. This is the same of how um, apostasy can happen. How we can, how someone can change from believing in orthodox Christianity, the doctrines of the Bible. And so, just like small decisions drift so far away. And we need to be careful. We need to watch ourselves and listen to what the Word says. So one thing, how far they drifted is like forbidding marriage and not eating certain foods, something that seems so strange to us. You might be wondering why would anyone want to forbid marriage? The Bible tells us that it's holy. The writer of Hebrews says that it should be honored above all, that it should be honored. And God, he created marriage for us to be enjoyed. You know, this doesn't exclude, this doesn't exclude that singleness is wrong. It's a good thing. Singleness is good. But we see that God has honored marriage. So why are they forbidding it? So what these apostates are really forbidding is marriage intimacy. Because in their line of thinking they forbid this because they will be made more holy. Meaning that their self-denial will stop their desire for sinful um, sinful sin. If it helps, think of a monk. In olden days, monks went off to get away from the worldly pleasures, not to be married, so that they could find a better holiness with the Lord. They could understand God more. But that, as Paul is saying here, is not a good thing. It's a teaching of the demons to forbid marriage. Giving up earthly pleasures for some heavenly desire. The same is true with food. If you eat this and don't eat that, you'll be a better Christian. Paul elsewhere in the book of Colossians, he calls this self-made religion, trying to stop the indulgence, the desire of the flesh with more rules. God, this is important for us, God is not impressed with our self-made, our self-righteousness, our self-made devotion. He wants us to be devoted to him his way because it's the best way. Self-denial, though, is a good thing. It's a good practice. Jesus taught it. But self-denial for self-righteous gain, or a better way to define self-denial in this mode, is defining holiness by what one gives up. But Paul elsewhere, he talks about that self-denial for knowing Christ is the best practice. He said in chapter 3 of Philippians, in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He counted everything as loss. He denied himself. Don't miss this. Devotion, which self-denial is a practice of, is not for you or really about you. It's for the sake of another, for the sake of other people. Paul gave up things. He suffered for the sake of knowing Jesus. He denied himself so that he might know Jesus more. This is how devotion should look. It's not a begrudging. Oh, I have to give up this thing. Many of us have put away, have given up things during our 21 days of prayer of fasting, and that's good. It's a good thing. In the, the denial, you are showing your love uh, for those. Let me backtrack there. Um, a good way to think about this is in our relationships, in our with our spouses or our friends. We deny certain preferences that we have so that we can build them up, so that we can show them love. We put away maybe how we would want to do that particular thing, where we would want to eat or where, what we want to watch. We put that away so that we can know them more and show them love. The same is true with our relationship with God. This is what it looks like for us in our relationship with God and our Savior. We give of ourselves for His sake. Then we have the joy of knowing Him more. That's why in our fasting, we put something away that is a a good, maybe it's a good habit. It's a, a good thing that we do every day. And we love it. But we put it aside so we can give that time for the Lord to talk with Him in a more focused time. What God creates is good, and He made it for our joy and pleasure but what is given freely can be denied for his sake and others or sorry and our delight but god does not require that we deny everything but that we receive with gratitude what he gives in verse 3 uh, and verse 4 who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that god created To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving is used twice here. The Greek word, again, I will not try to pronounce. I know I've already said that. But this word describes thankfulness as gratitude and recognition of favors granted. It's actively thanking God for what he's given you, for what he's given us. Paul tells us to pray like this so that our hearts will be set on the right perspective that the one, that God is the one who provides. I can remember when uh, Lucy and I were first married. Um, We've only been married for three years, three blissful years. Um, And we my, we were trying to think through, we were worrying through about our finances. We were like, man, we do not make a lot of money to have, you know, this life, um, to live in Vermont. And we were very anxious about it. And if I'm honest, I was the one who was really anxious about it. I had a lot of fear in my heart because I had what I felt my responsibility to provide, my God, what God had called me to do, to be the one who provided and at that time, Lucy as well. But at, at that time, God spoke to me in a way that I haven't, He hasn't spoke to me, so, spoken to me before. As I was driving down, I think it was Airport Road, I was thinking through all these things of, man, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it? And God clearly spoke to me through Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about to not be anxious about food and clothing. This is Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. He says that I provide for the food and the clothing for you. I provide it for birds. I provide for flowers. God is providential. He provides. But what he said to me was, Luke, I am the one who provides for you not you. It was like I got struck by a ton of bricks and I was like, oh man, that is uh, very true Lord. I <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a powerful moment in my life where I learned that God is the one who provides. I work, I do my hardest to provide, but God is ultimately my provider, our provider this means that we should be thankful for every blessing we are given by God we should say at any moment Lord thank you for this sunrise as I drive to work Lord thank you for this car that I have no matter how run down it is Lord thank you for these simple clothes I have for these nice clothes I have Lord thank you for everything that you've given me this gratitude is not just an action. This is a good, it's a good thing that we know I need to show my gratitude. But something important we need to know is that gratitude is a mindset. It's a way of thinking. Christians should be known for their gratitude. Unlike someone who isn't a Christian, who doesn't realize that every good thing they have is from God. God says that he reigns that he shines his sun on all, not just his children, but on all peoples. He shows common grace to all peoples. We Christians should recognize God for what he gives. We know the truth and we should acknowledge God for these good gifts. In our last verse, verse five, Paul says, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So what comes to your mind when you think about this? Praying for food, blessing it? You know, maybe you have that, that tradition, that habit of praying for your food, thanking God for it. You know, there's no scriptural mandate or command in Scripture to do that. It's a good thing that we practice. But as you already know, God wants us to be thankful for everything he gives. So we pray thanking God before our meals. Now, there is more here than just praying and thanking God for our our food. Um, Paul says, For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Our prayers can make things holy, this word here, holy, here in the Greek, and I know this word, is Hagiazzo. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, and it uh, means to sanctify or to set apart. You know, in our lyrics here of um, Build My Life, it said holy, and I don't remember the rest, but it was talking about how God is set apart. <laughs> and maybe you'll see that later, who knows. Um, but here in this sense, this sense of the word in our passage, it means more of to, clean, to cleanse externally. This word here is sanctify, holy, to cleanse externally. And we actually find this same sense one other place in the scripture in Hebrews 9, verse 13 through 14. I love this kind of stuff. You can find in scripture where there's another sense of the word. It gets at the same uh, topic that the writer is talking about. So in Hebrews chapter nine, verse thirteen, the writer of Hebrews he said, "For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, a cow, sanctify—that's our word there—for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ?" who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify or cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Man, how much more than the old system in the Old Testament, how much more does the blood of Christ sanctify us, make us pure? How much more than our own good deeds, our own righteousness, does the blood of Christ save us? So much more. As the sacrificial work of Christ can make us sinners holy, so our prayers and the Word of God can make things holy. This means something for us in our everyday lives. This is really what I want to get at for us, that our prayers can make things holy in our lives. It can sanctify it. Listen to Robert Yarborough, a commentator, Bible commentator. Eric gave me his commentary, Um, and it says, he says, in the same way that God may save the very worst persons, which is all of us, he can consecrate or make holy the seemingly mundane marriage, eating. In Christ, everyday activities can bring glory to God through his sanctifying or consecrating presence by faith, by our faith. Beloved, through the Word of God and prayer, we can make what seems mundane in, in, in our life and make it holy. This can also be applied to how God created us, our personalities, our gifts, our talents. Both our strengths and weaknesses and our personalities can, make, can be made holy for God's good use and our joy. Are you a peacemaker, but it doesn't seem like anything, your peacemaking does anything, never accomplishes anything? Are you a, a perfectionist, but all the details bog you down and you can't get anything done? Whatever it might be, we can pray to God to make these things holy, to sanctify them. That way, we can love our neighbors and love our God Remember, we are in God's process of sanctification, his process of bringing us from one point to another. And even in our good good personalities, God-given personalities, they can be made holy. God wants to be king in our lives and help us glorify him by empowering us, which we can have through the word of God and through our prayer. So, as we close today and yes I'm at 28 minutes isn't that crazy I, uh, most people go on for like 45 so yeah yeah be grateful <laughs> mm. no but um, so just a few closing takeaways for us remember God is not impressed with our self righteousness our self made righteousness devotion to him But desires that we live in godliness in devotion to him so first godly men and women are people of gratitude devotion means we acknowledge the one who gives in every moment every blessing every loss trial every suffering joy every gift we have we're grateful To the one who provides, the one who makes our burden light. And secondly, godly men and women deny themselves for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Devotion means giving up good things and dangerous things for the sake of knowing Jesus deeper in our relationship with Him. It means Self-denial. As Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Lastly, godly men and women pray for the mundane to to be made holy for God's glory and their joy. We pray in our devotion that God would make things holy. Devotion means that Even in the mundane, we can be thankful to God, and ask for His grace to be different, to be to be changed. And the mundane, and sorry, in the mundane, and also our personalities can be made holy. Things like a perfectionist or a peacemaker, whatever it might be, our our introvertedness, our extrovertedness, whatever God has gifted you with, He can make that holy by your prayer. So, what if, though, we were a people like this? What if New King was known for our genuine devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Our burdens would be lighter. We would feel, we would know that God provides for us. And the burden of the work life that we have and the bills that we have to pay, it would be lighter because we know the Lord provides. Our days would seem easier. Our hearts could face trials and struggles with confidence in God. Where your devotion is, where your devotion is, matters. It matters to God. Let me pray, and we'll close. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. I ask that you bless it as my brothers and sisters go out today. Lord, I ask that you speak to them, you teach them, Lord. You use your word. I ask that you do a work today to lead them closer to you, Jesus, that you could show them things in their lives that you want to sanctify, that you want to make holy, God. Show them where they can be grateful to you, Lord. They can walk out of here leaping with joy of how much you have given, Lord. So I ask for your blessing